0: everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 138, The Lights Went Out in Georgia. Recorded April 6th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux, and that will be evident in this show tonight. Tonight, we have a lot of life and not a lot of Linux, but that's okay. Um... Just to get things started, my 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 main power horse laptop computer that I do everything on has died. The lights just went out moments ago. So if you're um were wondering why there was no live stream this week, that's why. That's the one I do that on. Uh, and I'm working on a, an old backup, a trusty rusty Dell. But uh, a moment of silence for all the dead tech. In my house. Boris a few months ago, and now this, this Asus that I never really gave a name to. Maybe that's the problem. If I'd named him, he would have lasted longer.
1: Maybe. Maybe that would have been it. Um, yes, yeah. Had nothing to aspire to. Alas, and- poor blank. We knew <laughs> you well.
0: Uh his, uh his official Windows name was Mark Dash Laptop. Um,
2: oh, but, such, uh, a yeah. or such a classified, such a happy and... And lovely name there, Mark.
0: And I, in case you don't know, am Mark the Command... The Wait, what's my name? The Sultan of the Soapbox, as I have been named. <laughs> uh, and with me, as always, are my friends Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hey, gentlemen. Hello, hello, Where? hello. Yeah, well, I use the term very loosely. Um, very loosely.
1: <laughs>
0: so, my... Th- I've ranted about this machine before. It's uh, the ASUS Republic of Gamers laptop. It's built like a tank. It's an amazing machine. I love it, except the stupid design flaw: the power jack in it um, comes yep. off the motherboard. And and you can I mean do a do a search for Republic of Gamers laptops, and you will find hundreds of forum posts about that. It happened within the first couple of months of owning it. ASUS replaced it for me. Um, it happened again. I um, fixed it myself. It happened again. I paid somebody to fix it, and now this is the fourth time it's happened. And this time, it let out the magic smoke. And anybody who's worked in the industry long enough knows what that means. It oh, didn't no. It didn't just stop working. The magic smoke escaped. And once the magic smoke has escaped, all electronics cease to function. Pretty so much. I am now down uh, my primary laptop. Um, so if anybody out there just happens to have a grand extra laying around, Wants to throw it at me to get a new laptop. I'd probably buy you dinner for it, even.
2: Oh, there you go. At you least know. at least you're going to take them to dinner.
0: Taco Bell. <laughs> Your, whatever you want. anything, Even the, the Supreme menu. Ooh.
2: That's <laughs> tempting.
0: So, we're a little heavy on uh, warm-up tonight because we're a little light on topic. We don't actually have a topic. So, this is going to be uh, news and then just us talking. So, those of you who hate that part of the show... Skip over this one and we'll see you
1: next week. But uh, (laughs) listen to the last five minutes for my link. You'll like that. There you go. But uh...
0: so, Chris, what's going on in your life this week? Uh, Well, obviously, when last we heard from you, (laughs) you were you were bailing water out of the basement.
2: Yes, we uh, with all Well, that particular day we had rain almost pretty much every moment of the day and into the evening we had rain. Um, added on with all the water that we got from the river going out and the snow that we ended up getting as well. um, We ended up getting some water in our basement. Um, I think the last count when after, you know, the shop vacs and everything were running and we shoveled, or we squeegeed a bunch of water to the floor drains, we ended up getting, um, my shop vac emptied about 50 gallons of water. And I don't know how many gallons the other one emptied, but there was a lot of water coming in. Seeping in from the uh, cinder block walls of my basement so yay
0: yeah and that's the sort of thing you just can't stop you just gotta let it get there and then get rid of it right
2: pretty much um well, we we I did end up figuring out why we, I was getting the water in the in only one corner of the basement the high winds that we were getting the day before blew the downspout off of the um the gutter off my house so yeah and i didn't realize it because it didn't actually come off the house it just detached so the gutters were draining directly to the corner of my basement and you figure 24 hours of rain plus you know runoff that's a lot of water in the ground and it just pushed its way in one but once i hooked the downspout back up and kicked that you know all the rain coming off the off the roof off and you know about an hour later the water stopped coming in and it was just getting rid of the water that was already there plus moving all the stuff away from the walls because we had to check every wall to make sure it wasn't coming in anywhere else yeah it was it was a good five hours of labor that i wasn't looking forward to
0: well that's a fun way to spend a sunday evening
1: oh yeah well, and that's exactly how um, we spent our Sunday morning at church because we had the, the, uh, so, um, the, sorry, the things coming down. It came off the gutters and the wind was blowing the water right into the intake for the air conditioning. So, oh, even better. In our kids' room, we walk in and there's like water just falling on the floor right by the computer and the sound equipment back there. So, Ooh. yeah, we had a lot of rain here. So, I, I kind of know what you were going through there.
2: Yeah, it was not fun, but we got t- we got it taken care of, and I'm I'm sure you guys did too. So, oh yeah, mental note to everyone: check your downspouts every once in a blue moon to make sure they're still connected correctly. Right. I know once, Definitely do that. I know once the uh, the ground has dried out around here, because um, it's still kind of sticky and swampy. Um, I'm gonna stick some ladders up with some uh, cocking and and screw the downspouts down so that they don't blow off unless the the wind inhale are strong enough to you know batter them off from next time
0: Well, Seth, as I understand it, you have been uh, working your way toward a healthier you. do I understand that you now have somebody helping you with that, a professional?
1: yes um there's something called the savage race which is a 10k obstacle course with like you know an eight foot wall and a half pike you have to run up and stuff like that and wow the me of today you know i might could run through the wall if i tried but there's no way i would get over it uh and the half pike again maybe i could crash through it or knock it over um so i was like you know i kind of want to do that and so i went to a trainer you know hey what can i what do i need to do so he said you know getting plank position i was like what's plank position <laughs> uh and here's these ropes you know and oh my gosh i think he's a serial killer trying to kill people i was i was sore <laughs> that was on wednesday and really today's the first day i'm not sore i mean my legs still have a little ache but and now i'm going to be doing that twice a week so i don't know what is going on i think i might be losing my mind I need to go back in time and tell myself, keep eating your five sausage biscuits a day for breakfast. <laughs> really? You ate five? Well, and that's when I knew I had a problem, so I cut it down to four. Wow. But yeah, I, I, I did that. That was my normal. And that was wow. just breakfast, so it's a wonder I'm not like 800 pounds of uh, rotting corpse in the ground.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you, man. I'm an exceptionally large guy, and it's entirely my fault that I am. But yeah, you totally lose uh, sight of what normal food is, what a regular person is supposed to eat, and what what does a 2,000 calorie diet look like? I don't know. I had 2,000 calories for breakfast.
1: Yeah, yeah. I the 2,000 calories I really thought that was per meal. As long as you didn't go over that per meal, <laughs> you, were you were fine. Okay, right? <laughs> because, and, you know, and the average it,
0: person eats four meals a day, so there's not a problem there.
1: No, there's yeah. not. I, I don't know how I wasn't so much bigger, um, but yeah. So it, it was amazing. Um, if we were still doing the one meal one workout, and I actually think I did go through what I used to eat on a daily basis on that one yeah. when I was on it. But yeah, so yeah, I have a serial, I have a serial killer slash trainer. That I'm going to twice a week now, and well, if there's awesome. ever a time I'm not on the show, you'll know why.
2: Well, you know, and that's one thing I guess. Um, I've never, I've never weighed a whole lot in my entire life. Um, I'm the heaviest now at two thirty, but I've never. And my my biggest problem has always been soda, um, and I I just recently stopped drinking that, and I see weight dropping off. But man, I I don't think I can even consume that many biscuits in one shot. Seth, I, I really – I think my stomach would would revolt on myself.
1: Well, you have to work up to it. You have I, to train I, I, your body. You,
0: you
2: must. Yeah. You must. But yeah,
1: in high school – I didn't you know, just I would wake eat- up one day and say, ah, five sausage biscuits. No, I would have two. And then, you know, one day I would have three. And then every day I would have three. And one day I would have four. Then every day I would have four. And one day I would have five. And every day I would have five. I'd go, wait a minute. Five is probably too many. I should make myself eat no more than four. Yeah. So – yeah, and this
0: isn't, uh, you know, fat people on on air uh, radio, so I don't want to go too far down this road. But it is it is one of the, those things you do, you work up to it, and you lose sight of what it is. And what I, what I found in my life, and, and I'm sure any significantly overweight person will tell you the same thing, you forget what hunger is, and you supplant that with not full. You equate, I am not full. I, I There is room in my stomach for something else, therefore I must fill it. And so you spend your life moving from full to full. And you never actually get hungry.
2: Ah, I guess that makes sense.
0: And uh, Yeah, pretty much. One of the things I had to learn uh, as I started losing weight was it's okay to be hungry. Being hungry is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, you, you being hungry is a sign that it's time to eat, not a sign that you've done something wrong. You know, previously it was like, oh, I'm hungry. Well, clearly I, I need to prevent that from ever happening again. Um, so anyway. Just something I was going to mention uh, last No, wait. Wait a minute. A better transition. Healthy living, dieting, eating, exercising um, can only get you so far. The next step is to stay away from all microbial life forms, which <laughs> I failed in doing this week. So uh, last Tuesday, April 1st, was my birthday. And uh, my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, gave me my first birthday present uh, at 12.50 a.m. On Tuesday morning, and that was thousands of little viruses invading my stomach and making me throw up. She uh, very nice. She got sick on Friday and was sick all day Friday, all day Saturday, um, and then was on the mend. And apparently I was just incubating all that time. And so late Monday night into Tuesday morning, I got the sickest I have been in probably 10 years. Uh, it was the kind of sick where you just lay in bed and shake and just pray for death to come. I was that sick um, on my birthday. Hooray. Um, not only my birthday, but also the the start date of a major project that I've been working for, that my whole team has been working for for months. This was D-Day. This was it. And I had to call in sick. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh. <coughs> Pardon my giant cough there.
2: That's horrible, Mark.
0: So, um, yeah, it was rough. I spent the whole day in bed. and. Gutted it out and went to work the next day, but still wasn't better. Then I got to feeling better. Everything was fine. Friday night, we went out and had my belated birthday dinner and came home and the middle one started throwing up. And then last night, my wife and I snuck out for a date and came home and the sitter informed me that the oldest one had started throwing up. So there is a pox upon my house. Stay away.
2: That's horrible. Horrible, Mark.
1: Yeah, and it's even killing your electronics. So there is a truly a box right. upon your
2: house. Yeah. Someone has cursed you. You need to run around the house going oobie, 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 three yeah. times I running I need to backwards. shake
0: some chicken bones or something because <laughs> this it's it's made its way through. And my wife uh, also had the worst case of pink eye I've ever seen an adult have. It looked like she had Ooh. been just beaten up. Uh, her left eye was swollen to the size of a grapefruit. <coughs> Sorry for the coughing. Apparently, it's I'm going to struggle you, to get through this. i
2: was going to say it's a good thing you uh, had that cough drop before the show started, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's allergy season. It's pollen season in Georgia. Anybody who knows what has it been in Georgia in the spring knows what yellow rain is. Um, giant pollen bombs of of uh, pine pollen just fill the air, and when it rains, the rain is literally yellow from yeah. all the all the runoff. And um, last year it didn't bother me so much. They say the longer you, you live in an area, the more likely you are to develop allergies, and it's really it's really kicking my tail this year. So,
2: oh, no good. <clears throat> I, I know that feeling, Mark. It's not fun.
0: So anyway, there there's about that. And uh, Seth, uh, I mean Chris, I understand you uh had a, had your own brush with illness this week.
2: Oh yes, yeah. Um, I'm actually surprised I'm able to talk today to tell you the honest to god truth. Um, about Tuesday, I started feeling the raspiness in your throat. Which, you know, that's typical for this time of year, allergy season, sore throats, kind of go hand in hand with uh, a low, uh, a long winter, which is what we had up here in Montana, um, considering we just had another four inches of snow drop onto us that around that time anyway. Um, and then I, I kind of toughened up and just said, oh, I'll just deal with it, it's just sore throat. Well, come Thursday, I'm not able to swallow anything. So I'm like, oh, Thursday, I can't swallow, I can't drink water, I can't, it hurts to even breathe. There's something seriously wrong. So I go to the doctor Friday and they tell me, you have the worst case of strep throat I've ever seen. And you're showing, showing that not only do you have the bacterial version of strep throat, but you also have the viral version of strep throat. So you will also end up getting... Um you might end up getting pneumonia if you're not
0: careful. Awesome. Something to yes. look forward to.
2: Oh yeah. I'm I'm just all sorts of happy about this one because it's like, huh, I guess when I get sick, I get sick. So yeah, I'm on day three of antibiotics for the bacterial infection and I'm waiting for the viral to drop into my chest, which it's it's supposed to do anyway. Um I can actually swallow milk. In, in, like, cereal, though, today, which is a good thing because I think I would probably have died otherwise.
0: Okay. So, this show is going to consist of me coughing and uh, you uh, deteriorating gradually as we go on. And by the end, Seth will be the only, only one left here uh, working the knobs and flipping the switches.
1: <laughs> Great. Man, this is going to be a really short show tonight, guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, moving on from that, something I some good news, something I was going to mention last week and forgot. I, uh, I like to give uh, uh, credit where credit is due. And Best Buy totally exceeded my expectations recently, which Best Buy doesn't do ever. Um, so I wanted to mention it. Uh, last year, actually, on my birthday, I bought myself, for my birthday present, a set of uh, very expensive um, Bluetooth earpeat headphones. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. They're the Jaybird Freedom, if you know what that is. Yeah. And uh, they were $160 at the time. And I would never have spent that much money ordinarily, but I was looking for something uh, that I could uh, exercise with and something that I would. Mainly, I wanted a battery that'd last me all day and, and that wouldn't have that big giant over the ear thing. So, anyway, I did my research. I tried those. I decided to fork out the money. And I almost never take the insurance when they offer you the insurance. But I thought for this much money, for something I know is going to fail, because, you know, it's a small piece of electronic designed to be worn um, in wet conditions and and, and uh, conditions of of jarring. And so I just knew it was going to fail. So, I okay, I'll, I'll pay the $19 for that. Well, as is expected, about a year later, just uh, uh, last weekend, they stopped charging on me. They just, the the battery died or short circuit or whatever wouldn't take a charge anymore so Uh i called jaybird first because they come with a two-year warranty and i called jaybird and they um no questions asked uh said we'll they sent me out an rma number and said send it back and we'll send you uh, a refurbished pair and i thought you know that's that's a pretty good deal but i remembered i'd bought the uh the insurance so i thought i'd try to take it there first so last saturday i went up to best buy i went to the um, customer care, customer what do you call that? Anyway yeah. customer service, that's it line and waited in line for a couple of minutes and got there and I put the thing down with the little booklet that says I have the warranty and the receipt and said these have stopped working and the little girl behind the counter without batting an eye said would you like to go get another one off the shelf? Uh, okay so I went over and <laughs> And, uh, it's not the same model. I, they, I, you know, that's not unusual for electronics. They pr- produce a new model every year, <coughs> but it appeared to be the same. Like I had the four and this is the five, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I took it over there and, uh, and she didn't even open the box. I could have brought her an empty box and a receipt and she wouldn't have known because she didn't, she didn't test it. She didn't open the box. She didn't look at it. She just took it, rang up the new one, said, Oh, the price has dropped. Um, so we're going to put, uh, $40 back on your credit card. Oh, okay. wow. And, uh, and then they said, would you like to renew the warranty? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a year into the two years, so I've got a year left. He said, yeah, but if you'd like to renew it, we can give you two more years. Uh, uh okay. Uh, <laughs> so they did. And that cost me like $9 of that $40 back. So essentially they paid me $30 to get the new version of my headphones.
2: <laughs> wow. That's awesome
0: so that is great the insurance is worth it for best buy
2: definitely if that's well as long as that's the 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 norm for best buys insurance yeah
1: don't let dave ramsey hear you say that
0: (laughs) (laughs) i would never ordinarily do that um but again i just knew this was going to fail so i I thought i'd try it and it was a totally painless experience i was in and out in maybe 15 minutes tops uh no questions asked here it is they put money back on my card and I have two more years of the warranty. So, you know, rain or shine, I expect these to fail in about twenty two months or so.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. That's awesome. That's definitely a good thing for uh for Best Buy. I mean that's one of the best Best Buy stories I've ever heard. Usually it's a horrible a horror story of Best Buy. Um yeah, that's pretty awesome.
0: So there you go. Mad props to Best Buy for maybe the first time ever.
1: Yes, way no to go, kidding. Best Buy. You deserve it this time.
0: And now, having had something positive to say, here's the
1: daily rant from Seth. <laughs> yeah, I um, I went out to eat somewhere today, and I'm going to be nice, and I'm not going to say the name of the place, but I ordered, I ordered a value meal, and you know, on the on the the advertisement there, it shows five fifty nine. Well, you know, of course I pay with my credit card and then after I've ate, I'm sitting there looking at the receipt and I go, wait a minute, it shows 579 is what I paid plus tax. And so, you know, because the way they do the meals is they, they ring up all the, all the things individually and then they add a like a savings for the combo thing. And so I, I got to talk to the cashier and they're like, wait a minute, we'll get our manager to come see you. And so the manager comes and tells me that that 20 cents is due to tax. And I was like, uh, no, the tax is in the line right below it. So I just think if you work in fast food or in anywhere that if you're going to charge somebody something, just say how much it is. You know, I don't like I ate a at Taco Bell the other day. And I didn't pay, I ordered something and the person rang me up for something else and I got to something else. And I was sitting, I was like, yeah, I don't feel like walking up there. I'm just going to go ahead and eat it. Well, had I looked at the receipt before I could have said, Hey, you know, wrong thing there, but you know, I got what I paid for. So that was my bad for not being observant. But this time, like I say, I order and the price on the receipt, isn't the price that is advertised. I don't care charge whatever you want to, you know, charge $1,000 for a hamburger, it, do it, I don't care, just show that it's going to be $1,000, don't say it's going to be $100, and then I get the receipt for $1,000, and then try to tell me that the thousand, the difference is for tax, I mean, the guy, I don't even think the guy was out of high school who was acting the part of the manager, but honestly, in talking to him, I don't think he understood that 579 is not the same amount amount of money as 559. I think he's part of the uh the common core curriculum that's making its <laughs> way around the country. I just it was just you know, I was going to I just wanted to say hey, you know, I was going to say can you just take the 21 cents and and give it to the waitress uh for the extra tip. I don't care. You know, it wasn't a big deal. But then the fact that he's trying to lie
0: so now you now he made it a big deal when you weren't going to
1: Yep. Made it. Yeah. So I called the corporate number and I'm calling back the place tomorrow when the general manager is there. And I just like, dude, all you have to say is, wow, I'm sorry, those prices are different. Um, If you'll hold on, I'll bring you your 21 cents or, you know, can I get you a a something, you know, it, admit that you made the mistake and let's go on with it. Don't sit there and just lie to someone. It was just, it was ridiculous. Yeah. That 20 cents is because of the tax. And I go, "Well, what's this 56 cents in tax right below it that says tax?" <laughs> we it was just I couldn't believe how I couldn't believe how stupid he was trying to make me sound. And I, you know, like I say, honestly, I don't think he knew. I don't think he realized that the price I paid was different than the price on the screen. <laughs> I, I, because I looked at him and I could tell by his blank eyes he could not do simple math. You know, if I would have if I would have handed him a dollar and said, could I get this in quarters, please? He would have had to pull out his smartphone to figure out how many quarters <laughs> to get me. I honestly believe that. So here is a if you want to be a better citizen in the world, please learn how to do basic math. Uh, that's just a free tip brought to you by the Element Open Network. <laughs> um,
0: you, ever, you ever want to pull out the do you know who I am? I'm on a podcast that six people listen to.
1: <laughs> and yeah, i will well, make you, know, you look bad you know i'm I'm not gonna say what town i was in and, I, and you know and if you're listening you probably figured out where i ate but still I, i'm gonna give the the general manager of the store i'm not gonna drive back the ex. you know it would cost me a gallon of gas to drive there and back <laughs> i'm not doing that for 21 cents but They've made me never want to eat there again. And not just that one, but all of their locations across the country. I don't plan to ever go there again right now. But like I say, I'll give them a chance to redeem themselves. But, dude, the customer is not an idiot. You know, I mean, I understand there are times the customer is an idiot. But when the customer is showing you that you don't know how to program your POS system, maybe just say, I'm sorry, sir. Let me get you your money back. So okay, th- that that's my rant, and I know I probably uh, could have codified it better, but I just—it eh. was just ridiculous. So I had something happen that, that you you
0: mentioned this today. My my wife, I, I stayed home with the girl who was sick. The uh, the rest of the uh, ladies went out to a church this morning, and she came back with uh, Sonic. <clears throat> I think everybody in the world knows what Sonic is. Yeah. Sonic Drive-In. Um and so when we were handing out all the food to everybody we were short one of the kids chicken meals. And um and it's only 4 miles away but in the you know in the city 4 miles is a 30 minute round trip. Um Right. So my my 5 year uh, my excuse me my 9 year old daughter was you know pouting and I was like I'm sorry honey your mom is not going to drive 30 minutes um to get you your chicken. You just have to deal with the fact that you got screwed and suck it up. Uh, So I probably wasn't the most kind and compassionate parent there. um, But that's just the way it is. Sometimes you get screwed and you got to deal with it. And it happens at fast food more often than other sections of the world.
1: Yeah. You know, and I've been to other locations of that company and they've got an order wrong or whatever. And it's like, oh, no problem. I wrote your name down. Next time you come through, it's on us. Yeah. You know, I don't expect perfection, but do when you mess up own it
0: the McDonald's in the town where I used to live. I called their customer service line one time in the I don't know 12 or 13 years. I was there that after the after they built the McDonald's and the, that one time that I called them was because that was the first time they'd ever got my order right and I called in to think to con- congratulate them. Wow <laughs> yeah, every time' I'm, I'm not kidding I'm not exaggerating this isn't a markism. This is reality. That was one time in the entire time that I had ever been going there that they got my order right the first time. And I called the number, the support line to thank them for that.
2: Wow. I'm sure they enjoyed that's, the call.
0: Yeah. It's one of those backhanded compliments, right? Uh, congratulations <laughs> for, for not sucking this one time. Um but it's always, you know, I, I left out a fry or or like Seth, you know, they overcharged you or Or, you know, you didn't get cheese on the cheeseburger. It was was always something small, but they never got it right. Not one, well, just one time. In all the years I lived there, they got it right one time. Anyway, there's there's our fast food stuff. There you go. (laughs) So Chris is going to have a new reason to say to people, do you know who I am? Not just the element Opie faithful know him, but now the entire Spiceworks community is going to know him.
2: Yeah. Um they do those uh, SpiceWorks contacted me not too long ago. Um because I well obviously I'm a part of their community. Um I love SpiceWorks, but they uh they contacted me to be on the end of XP's little they they did, they'd have a little show that they do every once in a while. And so there's the show for the end of XP for Windows XP and they asked me to be on it. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I had to laugh because the entire time I I'm out during this pre-interview to see if they want me on the show, they, they comment about how high quality my, my voice is going over to them. And I'm like, cause every, the other guys that were in, you know, no offense to them, but they were talking in laptop mics and stuff like that. Right. And here I'm talking in the element OP mic of quality that um, we do the show with. And they're like, so I, I go. They ask me what what I'm using for the microphone. I said, "Well, I'm using this this nice Audio Technica microphone that I got for my podcast that I do every week." And the second I said that, I think I shouldn't have because they go, "You do a what? <laughs> you do a what? What do you got going on over there?" And then they they of course then it all becomes the this four person interview panel becomes the Chris Show because they want to know what the what the address is. What equipment I have, and when can I be on more shows? <laughs> so this might turn into an interesting little experiment of how many times SpiceWorks contacts me to be on their little pot, their little shows. But I did have to laugh though because they they're sending me equipment, and I have a feeling that the equip if their equipment isn't to the standard that Element OP is, is I'm not using their equipment
0: i'm going to use mine <laughs> well, why would they send you equipment if they were happy with what you have
2: i, I think it's the um the audio i don't think they're, i think it's the video i ah, think my gotcha. camera is less quality than what they're using um but as far as the sound um if their mic isn't anywhere near this quality level i'm not using it sorry spice works <laughs> But, yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool little thing because I've never actually been polled out of, you know, the, the, I don't know how many users are in Spiceworks, but how many people get polled to do those little interviews? It's just an interesting thing. Luck of the draw, I guess.
0: Yeah, when I booted up the laptop to do the show, the one XP machine I still have in the house, I, I booted it up and it uh, said, uh, XP support ends April 8th. Click here for more details. Yep. So, uh, but yeah. you know, I don't... Uh, I think we've talked about this before, but I don't plan to make any changes, especially for this one thing. All I use it for is to record. Um, it's it's not a general use thing. I don't I don't really see that the world is going to end if I don't update my XP, but I think it'll be interesting to see what happens there. How many people just don't move? And will Microsoft blink and start releasing patches because still 40% of the world is using their... Uh, their OS or, or not. It'll be interesting to yeah. see what happens there.
2: It'll be very interesting to see. Um, the, the the general census of the guys that we were talking with at the time are in the same boat as you, Mark. They're like, well, for some of the machines, we don't have a choice. Um, They have to stay. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that episode goes and to see how the world goes when it comes to XP because there's a lot of legacy applications out there that... Yeah. You know they're they're stuck, and a yeah. lot of
0: hardware that Microsoft just abandoned when they moved forward from XP and never came oh, yeah. back to. You know my my mixer being one of them. Uh, so it's well, just it's just your, not an option for me.
2: Yeah, your mixer. Uh, I think there's about half a dozen scanners at my school that they just quit working. Yeah, and the, there's nothing we can do about them. Even the 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 barcode readers. We had five barcode readers that, nope, no support. Forget yeah. it.
0: And so, you know, the idea is there is just buy new hardware, but yeah, you know, th- that only works for a certain percentage of people.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and I'm sure that there's just a lot of people who are like, yeah, whenever our regular cycle comes around, we'll upgrade next time, but we're not going to push our cycle just to get rid of XP, you know, right. just so you can have a better quarter, um, this year.
0: All right. I think that's enough of that sort of stuff. Uh, we'll. Leave these other items for another time, and we'll move on to a bit of listener feedback. First from our good friend Joe, um, who has this to say. He says, I suppose you'll talk about Linux this and Boris Box that and a dash of DDWRT. That Linux stuff is great, but what I really want to know is if you'll be reviewing Super Cyclone in tonight's show. It's my new favorite thing. My wife doesn't share my appreciation, so I'm hoping at least some Linux geeks will get it. So I'll stop there to say, Joe, just for you, I watched it today. And I don't see the appeal, man. I'm sorry, I'm just not there with you. <laughs> it is indeed a bad movie, but it's it's not bad in the great way. It's just bad. Um, <laughs> um, it's not Sharknado uh. bad. I'm sorry. Um, now that he, the, one of the things he had mentioned previously was uh, about the the helicopter. There's one. There are several helicopters used throughout the movie that clearly all take place on the same helicopter set. And I think the guy that built it has never actually seen a helicopter. Um, <laughs> because it basically <laughs> consists of a wooden windshield and wooden spray-painted seats and uh, moving drop cloths hung around. And it doesn't look anything like a helicopter. I mean, if they didn't say, let's go get in the helicopter, you would not know that's where they were oh geez um you know there's a couple of great scenes where the 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 footage is of a truck driving down a highway stock steady the cutaway is two guys bouncing around in the front seat you know like they're on a a rugged road and the director said bounce um (laughs) and they just got back and forth between the two between and look over here um so it's 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 a bad movie don't get me wrong joe it belongs in the pantheon of bad movies, but I just don't think it's bad in the way that uh, The Last Kung Fu Monk is bad. It's <laughs> it's just not the same kind of bad. So I,
1: I, I, I wanted, Joe, I wanted to be right there with you, but I'm just not. See, I don't know, Mark. But one man's Sharknado is another man's Last Kung Fu Monk because I did not get into the, the terribly awesomeness of The Last Kung Fu Monk the way you did. So... You know, maybe maybe there's just a maybe there's a wide enough definition of good bad movie yeah. that Joe can have his good bad movies, and we, I just I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I do want to watch it because you know I've got nothing else to do but waste time. So I mean, um, don't
0: don't misunderstand. I do believe my life is richer for having seen it. Um, <laughs> it just it just maybe Joe had built it up so much that I I couldn't... couldn't So here's the basic premise. An oil rig out off the coast of California drills into an active volcano and magma comes up and starts heating the water. The superheated water um, then creates a supercell cyclone that sucks the oil. So now it was... First it was magma, now it's oil. I don't know where that came from. Sucks the oil up uh, out of the ocean, ignites it because it's super hot, and literally rains flaming hail on the city uh, of Los Angeles, which is fun.
1: Wow, um, that's man, Los Angeles between like <laughs> volcano and now super cyclone yeah. and the whole battle, Los Angeles. Yeah, just cannot catch a break.
0: And so there's a there's a scene that takes place at um, what's the big military base? I'm I'm blanking on the name of it. You'd know if I said it um Uh, there's the pendleton camp pendleton Pendleton. um and i'm guessing camp pendleton they might not actually have been at camp pendleton but wherever they were they gave them like one room that they could shoot in and the hallway leading to that room and so i'd say 30 40 percent of the movie takes place at camp pendleton and every time they're walking down hall they're walking down this one hall and it's this big circular thing and they just they're just walking around and around it and then they go into this conference room, and it's the exact same conference room. And then they walk down the same hall and into the office, which is that conference room with different furniture in it. <laughs> <laughs> and so that that part is enjoyable. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, and you know the some of the the dialogue is just just ridiculous, and it's it's like you know the director didn't tell them what to do while the other person was talking. So you have these close-ups of people reacting in ways that aren't appropriate to the language so somebody says something like we're all gonna die and then the guy next to him just kind of nods like yeah okay it's like (laughs) were were you even listening to the line you didn't even know you were (laughs) so there's good things in it but i just didn't think it was the best bad movie ever
2: it's not they live or
0: they're oh they live that's way up there
1: that's that's like classic territory there. You know, we can't put Sharknado in that category because it hasn't been out long <laughs> enough, but it will one day be on the same plane as they live.
0: Oh, and uh oh gosh, I forgot to put his name in the notes, but uh a listener uh posted a link uh to the Sharknado 2 poster. Now we've talked about Sharknado 2 and that it's coming, but uh there's a there's a new uh pro- promo poster for it. And it's called Sharknado 2. The second one, shark happens, um, and it's a picture of sharks ripping through Lady Liberty in a giant flaming hurricane with oh sharks coming out of
2: it. Oh my god! <laughs> at least they're the same type of shark. Yeah. Instead of instead of you know like you know they, they could be great whites and hammerheads and and you know at least these are all at least. From what I can tell in the picture, they're all the same type of shark.
0: No, there's a couple. there. There's, that second one's a bull shark, clearly, and the top one's a great white.
2: Okay. Um, well, bull and great, they're yeah. close enough.
0: And the the caption on the CNET.com article simply says, One day, this will be in an art museum.
1: <laughs> so I hope this one has a theatrical release. Yeah. <laughs> because of how much i enjoyed the first one i would go see this one simply because i wasn't able to see the first one in theaters just just to say thank you for the (laughs) entertainment value because i mean come
0: on could you see what the midnight showing with like guys showing up you know cosplaying as sharks and and it would be awesome
1: that would be be crazy yeah just I could just, you know, it's like the Rocky Horror Picture Show for our generation, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sharknado
0: 2, Shark Happens. Well, my favorite, though, is that the subtitle is the second one. um, And apparently this one is supposed to be just a cameo fest. The guys getting in on the popularity of the first one. Yeah. Okay. Moving right along, hey. Mike comments on our last week's show, Life After Linus. Uh, um. What's your name? Chris. That's your name. Did you get a chance to listen to that show?
2: No, it's in my podcatcher. I'm actually it's on my next for uh it's the next one on my list.
0: So, oh, good. I appreciate, I'll, I'll you, to it. appreciate you putting us at the top of the line there. It's only been out since Thursday.
1: Yeah. Um, oh,
2: sorry. Security <laughs> security now bumps you, man. Sorry.
1: <laughs> um I guess if that's the only thing that bumps us, we're doing <laughs> That's all right. Good. Yeah. It's so anyway. the only one ahead,
2: yeah. I, I about 10 minutes into it, so
0: Anyway, says hey, oh, if you're only ten minutes in, it'll be next week before you get around <laughs> to it. Um,
2: no, remember, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't work or anything Friday, oh, okay. so I didn't get a chance. Friday's my podcast day. I listened to it then.
0: Okay, so moving right along, Mike says, "Hi guys, Linus Torvalds won't retire. The plans are already in place for him to be lured into Mark Shuttleworth's spaceship and locked away with the thirteen on the thirteenth moon of Neptune. He's not the first one to get to the Ubuntu space captain's special treatment. Remember Steve Jobs? He thought he'd be saying." And one more thing, I'm on Mars, where, in fact, he's on Pluto, and that's not even a planet. The canonical overlord will then throw RMS into a volcano, the spaces for upper classes only, um, and take over the Linux Foundation and relocate them to the Isle of Man. He will declare a holy war on Red Hat, Redman, and the red commies at the Free Software Foundation. He will smite them with a glorious vengeance, and Ubuntu will claim 86.2% desktop market share for the next 10 years. The guerrilla guerrilla Debian terrorists will then assassinate Mark Shuttleworth and replace him with a committee composed of reasonable, well-mannered professionals, and the colonel will live happily ever after. In the unlikely event that this won't happen and Linus will retire or pass away, then Red Hat, Canonical, Novell, and whoever else has a stake in the colonel, hell, even Microsoft is contributing to it, will have to come up with a solution. It's the big business, and they can't afford to let the colonel development fall apart. As for similarities to Apple, no. The only big companies who have a stake in Apple are its suppliers, like Foxconn and LG. Now, should Apple go to the big cloud in heaven, suppliers will promptly find a new clientele and whoever will replace it. I assume that everyone else in the business wants Apple dead. No, Seth, you're not the only one. The Linux kernel, however, is a very different story. What would Facebook do with their new ButterFS drives if there were no Linux? What would Google, would Google pay for Windows licenses or would they develop their own kernels? The Zuck kernel or the Amazonics or the Google piece of code that makes your web browser like it's a real OS? Nah, I don't think so. So it it's been way it's been way too good for too many big players. If they have a, any sense at all, they'll keep developing it and they'll keep it open source. That's my 404 words worth on the subject. Once again, thanks for the awesome show and also thanks for lin- lin- mentioning the Linux Academy. I'm sub- subscribing and finding it useful. All the best, Mike. So uh I don't think there's any follow-up to that.
1: No, there's- not really. I would just say that I was only I was comparing Linus and Steve Jobs in a limited way, not Linux and Apple. I would never insult Linux like that <laughs>
0: <laughs> so on the thirteenth moon of Neptune is where Linus, is, Linus will be found in cold storage.
2: Eh, it works.
0: It so- could happen speaking of cold storage minor minor spoiler minor. I went and saw Captain America, the winter soldier, uh, last night.
2: Oh, any good.
0: I got to say it was better than the first, but that's a very low bar. Um, but it was just, it was about 30 minutes too long and it was too brooding and emotional. The whole huh. thing felt to me like the preview for the next Captain America movie. So interesting. And I, I I will admit I'm coming at it this from a, a point of somewhat ignorance. I've never been a big Captain America fan. I didn't read the comic book. I didn't grow up idolizing Captain America. But he is he is way tougher than I ever remember Captain America being. Um. Like jumping out of off of buildings and landing on the ground and walking away from it, like forty story buildings. Um, wow.
1: Yeah, no not 40 story buildings two or three story you know and Um,
0: running through walls like like hulk style running through walls um it just it seems like they've imbued that that shield with some special magic that it didn't used to have
2: no it's a super soldier serum they they amped it up
0: yeah i guess it's just he's (laughs) he's uh, so it's he's that tough right and then there are several scenes in the movie where he fights a regular guy and gets thrown out, around, thrown around a little. Of course, he always wins against the regular guy, but why would the regular guy even land a punch if he's that tough? Right. So anyway, there are things like that that bother me. They take me out of the story. So the opening scene is him jumping out, of, and that's not a spoiler because it was in the previews. He jumps out of a of, of an airplane at like thirty thousand feet into the, the to the ocean without a parachute, and then okay. climbs up cl- and, and, and climbs up on a, a ship and kicks 30 guys' butts. That's the opening scene, all right? And then a few minutes later, he fights this kung fu guy, and the kung fu guy kicks him around a little bit. How do you reconcile those two things? How can a guy who can jump out of a helicarrier at 20,000 feet and survive get kicked around by a kung fu guy? It just doesn't make sense to me because it's kung fu. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that was yeah. bothering me. I just had to get that out.
1: I I got I got nothing for you yeah. because well, I mean, you know, that's one of the things I don't want to go see a comic book movie if I'm seeing the exact same thing that I read in the comic book. It's got to be, you know, it's a it's a fine line to balance the you know staying true to the form yet providing something original so they've got to make them a little different change their powers around a little bit or otherwise it's just like you know the comics are more fun so you got to give them a little bit of leeway but yeah i'm like you there's a lot of stuff like wait a minute if he can do that then the whole you know because there's been like sequels where or later on in the movie it's like wait if you can do that we just wasted the first half of the movie exactly so yeah yeah
0: Yeah, and there's there's another scene, it's not a spoiler because I saw it in previews before, where like 40 big tough guys get on an elevator with him. Um, right. And biggest elevator in history, by the way. Uh, and they're all, he figures out that they're all about to attack him. And this, this is great. There's a couple of moments of really good humor, not Joss Whedon uh, all over the place like Avengers, but a couple of good ones. And that's one. He says, before we begin, would anybody like to get out? And that made everybody laugh in the theater because he knew he was about to kick 40 guys' butts.
1: Right. right.
0: So anyway, I'm not even sure what taught, took me down that road, but uh, <laughs> it popped into my head and I wanted to mention it. Uh, but talking more about listener feedback, Danny has his own idea about what will happen to the Linux kernel after Linus Torvalds. He says, due to Ubuntu going its own directions, I think it will evolve into its own system based on Linux. So he's comparing that to like uh, the Mac OS and, and BSD. <clears throat> Ubuntu will be like Android. And they will be Linux as we know it, and uh, with several distributions, each with their own strengths and weaknesses. So that's what Danny thinks.
1: Well, I could I could totally buy that because they are really they have the whole uh, convergence idea. They're a lot um, more aggressive at that than anyone. They you know. Ubuntu's end goal that they've said is they want the same OS across, you know, laptops, desktops, tablets, and phones. Which not, is, of course, you know, where
0: Microsoft is is running too headlong.
1: Yeah, but in in Microsoft, you know, some of the apps will run, but it's a different OS. And so, yeah, that's you know, Ubuntu. In a lot of ways, it seems to me like they might actually be in the lead in this. But again, you know, it's not like with their market share, people have never heard of them. So. And uh, the next one, uh, Kevin
0: offers a bit of a correction, um, and I will read his notes and then say why. I think it's a qualified correction. He says, Good day, EDL crew. This is a quick message due to something that was said in uh, show number, well, then he didn't put the show number, as well in the past shows offhandedly, that I know to be incorrect. From the purist standpoint, it's true that there is no Netflix client for Linux. Uh, this is true. Like most things on Linux, you have to hack or virtualize around the wishes of proprietary companies who only wish to service Windows and Mac users. For Linux users, users like us who want a Netflix experience, there is a project called PipeWipe. The FDS team has made it possible to get Netflix in native Firefox, like it was meant to run. The trick is following their processes for your own distro. Ubuntu, Fedora, Suse, Arch, Gentoo... And then installing the user agent override on Firefox. <clears throat> These two processes allow Netflix to verify you as a Windows user and run Silverlight in emulation from your browser. It works very well, and I use it on my Fedora netbook and on my quad boot Debian, uh, Linux Mint, Ubuntu, Corora. Is that all four uh, laptop to watch all my Netflix goodness? Spread the word on how to get this working and enjoy Netflix goodness from your Linux systems natively. Keep up the weekly shows. You guys are one of my top Linux podcasts, Kevin. P.S. You want Amazon Prime to work natively in Ubuntu slash Debian-based distros, and he offers, uh, offers a link there. <clears throat> so there you go. There is a way to hack the system. So, yes, Kevin, you are correct. You can watch Netflix on Linux. but no you can't I mean to a regular person saying you have to download this and hack that and run this and make sure you've got this version is the same as saying you can't do it yeah so I stand by the fact that you can't watch Netflix on Linux well yes it is technically possible um it's 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 a little ridiculous what you have to go through to do it
2: it's lame um that's just one of those things that it absolutely irritates me that you know, yes, I understand that Linux is in the minority when it comes to desktop clients, but it works in the Chromecast and and you know the Roku and everything else. Why not just let it go for Linux?
0: Come on. Really? If you're running Ubuntu, there there is a PPA that you can install. Makes it uh, you know, super easy to do. But I still that's not the answer. The answer is to make um netflix a viable opportunity a viable solution uh wait let me back that up to make linux a viable solution platform for netflix we don't want the entire reputation of linux to be the bunch of guys who figure out how to steal stuff that nobody wanted them to have we want it to be a the reputation of here is a group of people you're not serving who want to give you money and you're refusing to do it
2: yeah, I mean that's the you know that's the brass tax. I mean Amazon's in the same boat when uh, as as Netflix is right now because they've both moved off of Flash for obvious reasons. But they moved to Silverlight which is also a dead project as well instead of going to HTML5 which I think would not we would not have the problems then anymore. Because the codex would be you know if you're if you have the codec that would play the format that they're serving it would then work right and then you know this is one of those things where they're jumping from one dead product to another dead product instead of finding a current or future proof solution
0: see the thing is that we've we have finally legitimized linux in the server room for years microsoft and and uh you know really just primarily Microsoft, but uh, you know a little bit Solaris and those guys, have marginalized Linux. Finally, Linux won that battle. And Linux is the primary server OS with Windows nipping at its heels. So why can't we legitimize Linux on the desktop? And you'll never legitimize Linux on the desktop when there are entire projects devoted to stealing content. And whether you agree that it's stealing or not, that's what Netflix and that's what Amazon Prime are going to call it. Yeah, because uh, you're yes, you're a subscriber. I'm, I'm a Netflix subscriber. I have a right to use that software, uh, to, to access that content. Is a better way to put. It. But what I don't have a right to do is hack their proprietary system. There's just I just don't have a right to do that. And so when you're when you're built designing projects specifically to steal content, and whether you agree with that it's stealing or not doesn't matter. Netflix would call it stealing, and that's who's important here then then you're you're going backwards you're not helping anybody
1: well yeah and with the open nature of linux once you release something then somebody's going to clone it and you know and you know and again i understand you know the linux person you know uh electrons should be free they want to be free because we had a poll and cnn did this infographic and 48 percent of them <laughs> didn't know what they were talking about the other 52 percent said yes let's let's be free but you know and that's ridiculous you, you can think about that logically and an electron is a negative charge it doesn't care um but if somebody wants to make money for their work and the time they went through to set up a product or a service, that is their right. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, although that again, that seems to be a minority opinion in some places now. And Linux has the reputation when it comes to stuff like that. You know, it it they have the reputation of you know the torrenters who are, you know, we're gonna we're gonna take what you have, we're gonna rip it off, and we're gonna give it away for free, and. You know, that's not right. Is part of that just the perception and not the reality? Sure. Some of that is in there, but a large, there's a lot of reality or there wouldn't be that perception. So until, until the Linux community grows up, moves out of our parents basement and gets a real job and plays nice in the rest of the world, we're going to be marginalized in the rest of the world. You know, in the, in the server room, we're all geeks. Whether you're a a Windows geek, a Unix geek, a Linux geek, and we want to make sure our stuff works with other people. But when you get out to the everyday world, you know, you've got to be presentable. And unfortunately, by and large, the Linux community doesn't want to be presentable. We want to be the Linux community.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's that's one of the things that uh, when we get somebody from the Linux Foundation on, I want to talk about. So somebody make a note of that, is the, the perception of not Linux, but of the Linux community um, isn't a positive perception generally. Um, you know, you ask the average person about Linux, if they've heard of it, they have heard of it probably in a negative context because some Linux community member was rude to them and told them to read the manual. Um, or they
2: or they heard it on the TV and saying that that it's a um hacker's OS.
0: Yeah. So it just I think we need a lot of reforming going on. I think and I think that's difficult because the the cowboy outlaw mentality are the ones who are drawn to Linux because it's not quote-unquote reputable. It's not one of the big guys. And so they're drawn to that, and they're and in many ways, they're our greatest strength and our greatest weakness. I've said that on the show many times. Um, that the the greatest strength of the Linux, of Linux is the Linux community, and the greatest weakness of Linux is the Linux community. Yeah, and I uh, we just gotta we gotta figure we gotta crack that nut. We're smart people. We figure out problems every day. How come we can't figure out how not to be jerks?
2: Because then everyone has to play fair and play nice, and nobody wants to play fair or play nice anymore.
1: Well, and, you know, and that's one of the that's one of the issues that our podcasts address is we're trying to make Linux more available and accessible. And we're trying to change the perception. Um, you know, maybe we do more harm than good. I don't know. But <laughs> we want to make Linux available and usable and presentable to the wider community. So I think a lot of it also has to do with that's the historical perception. And so because that's the historical perception, no one has bothered to check and see if it's still the same today.
0: That's a good point. So maybe I'll talk to our our friends over at the Linux Academy and ask them to teach a course on how not to be a jerk. (laughs) That would be, that would be a valuable course along with all the other courses they have where they provide step by step video courses to help take you from being a a, a Linux beginner to a Linux administrator. Uh, Um, over 200 videos with accompanying, uh, PDF study guides and quizzes and, uh, and all these great things. Maybe, maybe they need just to add a little social interaction to that, but they're not asocial by any means because along with all the great content they have, all the great Learning material. They also have a community of Linux Academy users. They have a forum there that's very active, and you can learn from other people uh, and and share with other people who are are going through the same thing as you. uh, And they're learning to use this thing we call Linux. Go over to Linux Academy, check them out. uh, See see what they've got. They've got these things called modules, and you start a module is a group of lesson plans, and a lesson plan is a group of videos. Um, and tests and and study guides all together. So you sign up for a module that, for example, is the LPIC module, Linux Professional um, uh,
1: Institute uh, Certification. Linux Professional
0: Institute Certification. There you go. Uh, So the Linux Professional Institute, the LPI, has certified Linux Academy as um, one of their certified trainers. Now also um, CompTIA. Has certified Linux Academy. You can get CompTIA oh, wow. certifications through That's the awesome. Linux Academy Academy now. Sweet. But these these are real real people with real uh, credentials who really know their stuff, and they've gone through the process and they're now uh, certified education centers for both those organizations, the LPI and the CompTIA. So you can go there and you can get your Linux Plus certification. You can get your LPI Level One certification, all from this one place. You can get both of those certifications. For the same low price. What is that low price? Well, like I said, if you want to just go in there and poke around and see what they think, you can get 14 days for a dollar. You get a two-week trial for just a dollar. All you need is a credit card or a PayPal account or both, and uh, you can sign up, and uh, they'll let you look around. And they're so confident that they're, they're not, there aren't restrictions on that. There's, There's no members-only area that you can't get access to during your trial. There's no a uh, super secret password that you have to have. Once you're in there, you're in there. And after you're done with that dollar and you're sure you want to check it out. And we know you will be about $25 a month. If you're not a commitment kind of guy, you're not sure you, you're going to know how long you're, you, you want to be with them. $25 a month. If you're willing to be a little more of a committed guy and sign up for six months at a time, it's $20 a month. If you want to save even more, and uh, do an annual su- subscription is $19 a month. Now this is don't you don't misunderstand me here. This is $19 a month for a year. Okay? Somebody do the math on that. 196ish somewhere around there. Um, you can do that and get two certifications, LPI level 1 and Linux plus. Now you don't. They, you can't take the test from there, but you can get the learning for that, for a couple hundred bucks. Come on, that there's just there's you're not going to find that anywhere else. You're not going to find this quality of service with certified uh, people who had to, you know, really had to bend over and and let the inspectors uh, be very thorough in their search to be certified by both the LPI and uh, CompTIA. These guys know their stuff. Their content is high quality, and it's dirt cheap. 19 bucks a month. So in a year there's think of how much you could learn in a year's time if you spent a couple hours every day doing this sort of stuff. And and when you're when you've taken the modules and you've done your thing, you can take a practice quiz. And the practice quiz is rigorous. If you can take the practice test, you can t- pass the regular test. And I feel confident in saying that because currently they have a 100% success rate. Everyone who's pa- passed their practice practice exam and taken the certification exam, has passed a certification exam. That's that's a good statistic right there. So I've thrown all kinds of numbers at you, 200 training videos, PDF study guys, quizzes, uh, practice exams, certifications, 20 bucks a month. The last thing I want to tell you is tell them we sent you by using the code EverydayLinux when you sign up, and I know you're going to sign up. Just go do it. Stop fighting. We are the Borg. Resistance is useless. <laughs> Just go ahead and sign up.
2: Uh, futile, isn't it? I, I didn't want futile. to totally steal, uh, <laughs> but it's the Borg.
1: It's it's futile. It is resistance is futile. <laughs> I think that's only if it's less than one ohm. <laughs> so, so before Seth goes into his thing
0: that he always does about how much you'd pay for that elsewhere, I had a dream about um, the chick who played seven of nine. What's her name? I can't remember. Um,
1: Jerry Ryan.
0: The night that I was sick and feverish and and shake, I had a dream about Jerry Ryan it just popped into my head there it was it was very bizarre and it was she was in a movie in my dream and it was a bad movie so it was like a super cyclone sharknado quality movie and she was in it and that it wasn't it wasn't a good kind of dream i wasn't you know in, in, indulging in any fantasies it was just her in a movie but anyway. she
1: was in a bad movie called the last man on earth um, I'm so, I just, it just now came to me when you said that I might have to add that to the bad movie forum. It's called The Last Man on Earth. And basically this guy with a camcorder, uh, makes a movie and somehow he got Jerry Ryan to be in it. Um, she's the soul redeeming quality of the movie. Uh, it's absurd. It's a bad movie. You should watch it. The Last Man on Earth. Um, maybe you saw that in like a, uh, in like your, uh, sick, Induced state, and it just had a dreamlike quality to it.
0: Well, Seth, my Google sh- uh, search shows that movie was made in 1964. Is there a different
1: name that it could have been? Maybe. Um. No, I'm pretty sure that was. uh Golly, you're going to make me go to IMDb. I wonder if we get IMDb to sponsor us because I love that movie. Oh, it was uh, just called The website. Last
0: Man. <clears throat> I, the Jerry Ryan and David Arnot. We're in a movie called The Last Man. It got two Ah. stars on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Okay, so... Yes, okay, it was just called The Last Man. I'm sorry. But, man, she's pretty. She's very pretty. (laughs) Resistance (laughs) is futile. Um, So,
0: anyway, Linux Academy, good. Jerry Ryan, hot. Moving on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: not
0: much more to say after that.
2: (laughs) Nope. Other than... Go forth and, and say our name.
0: <laughs> so now let's move on to oh, the the wheels are falling off. I'm trying to duct tape this one back on over here while we move on. Um, So let's talk a little bit about some of the news of the week. And this is one that you know, Chris accuses me of never bringing any content. This is my link, Chris. Thank you very much.
2: Oh, oh well, that's uh, awesome for the first time in a uh, week. Yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> about the paper Duino, the paper Duino tiny. And it's just, it's cool. It's an Arduino on a piece of cardstock that they say you can build for about $4. Huh. And there's, I don't have anything else to say other than go check it out. It's pretty cool. Uh, it supports the Arduino IDE. Uh, it's USB powered. Uh, it's got a built built in USB with serial debugging, eight K of flash Ram, um, and a power led with a test slash status, status, LED on a piece of paper that is about the size of a business card. So mm. there you go. That is entertaining, to say the very least. I don't that know what you'd do with it, but, you know, if you need a microcontroller and all you've got is four bucks and a business card, this is the link for you. No
1: kidding. Dude, You could that could actually be your business card. <laughs> you know, you, you could you walk could. around. <laughs> giving paper duinos to people.
0: And it's not the first paper duino. This is this is just the smallest iteration so far. The paper duino tr- tiny. Um it's just cool.
1: Um Yeah, I, I what do you do with it? I don't understand.
2: I don't think there's anything you can do with it. I think it's just there because it's there. I'm sure I'm sure somebody could make it do something that would be beneficial, but I don't know what
1: you could Could you like maybe program in what, well, how would you access this? Well, it'd be by a USB. Yeah. It'd be over the USB power line. <clears throat> so plug it in your computer and it auto launches a website with your resume. If you can build this and you can code your resume and give there it like a go. bitly URL, <laughs> you know, go to a job fair and just hand these out. And, uh, you know somebody you would at least get an interview if if you were dishing these things out has your resume um i just read a story today where a marketing intern uh her resume was an actual she made a little logo or a lego of herself and that was her resume it was like this little lego kit that she sent out to people um so yeah he, take the paper duino and make yourself a business card code a url with your resume or link it to a youtube video um, because that that's a millennial thing to do a nice little youtube video talking about yourself
0: 8k storage you couldn't put much on there but you could you could definitely do a url
1: yeah like i say especially if it's a short one you know bitly bit.ly slash blah blah and we know whatever the random generator makes and that pulls up a YouTube video and then, hello, why are you holding me kind of thing? So there you go. Uh, I just want, I want 5% of your first paycheck for that idea. You know, just go <laughs> to the tip jar, uh, elementob.com and just 5% of your first paycheck. <laughs> and uh, there you go. Um, you know, and coming up next week on everyday career lessons.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of Linus Torvalds and what is life going to be like without him? We wouldn't have had this story without Lorna Linus, where he basically tells one of his developers, no more commits for you.
1: Yes, uh, <laughs> I'm bleeping tired of your code because this guy, um, and and the thing was, this isn't the kernel. This is like one of the things the kernel calls. And if you put it in debug mode, it generates so much apparent crap that it basically keeps the computer from starting. And so Linus's Linus is sick and tired of it. And so he has basically banned this person from contributing anymore to Linux until he fixes his mess. He refuses to look at other people's patches submitted for this. He uh this person works at Red Hat and, you know, it's not like I wrote one line of code and I'm trying to get it in the kernel. This is somebody who actively works you know, for Red Hat and is in the active development of Linux. He's a big deal in the Linux community. And Linus has said, you 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 might be a big deal, but you're not me. So until you fix your stuff, you can't play here anymore. So we'll see what happens with this titanic power struggle.
0: Yeah, and so uh, what's the thing was posted here that if you do this in debug mode, it causes problems. And some of the solutions that immediately were, were proffered were to... Uh, put some uh, uh, rate limiting in the kernel, so that these things won't won't happen, and that's what set Tor- Torvalds off. It was like, why, why do I have to fix the kernel when it's your code that's doing this? So he writes, "quote I'm effing tired of the fact that you don't fix problems in the code you write, so that the kernel then has to work around the problems you cause." And then to another guy, just for your information, I will not be merging any code into the kernel from this man until the constant pattern is fixed. This has been going on for years and doesn't seem to be getting any better. So mm. he's pretty mad. And then uh, the last line, or among the last lines, he says, um, it's, I just find it annoying that it's always the same effing prima data involved. Wow. So that's, that's what a kernel dictator does, folks.
2: Obviously,
1: yeah, and and you need someone like that, or otherwise you get a bloated code with crappy software. Yeah. So,
0: and so basically, he just said you're you're cut off until you clean up your act, and and whose definition? My definition, because I wrote the dang thing. Yep, good for him.
2: You know, stand up and and take things away from people if they're doing stupid. Definitely won't give him any credit for uh being a nice
1: dictator but well that's you know okay
0: <laughs> there's a reason dictator isn't nice guy tater um,
1: <laughs> yeah well in linux the needs of the mini outweigh the prima donna of the one so all right so the state of tamil nadu in india
0: has solved its windows xp problem by going linux
1: problem yes solved. in two days microsoft will release will be the last patch tuesday that it that um has of right now will be the last patch tuesday that fixes problems for windows xp uh on a wide scale basis and so you know the world's in the uproar apparently the apocalypse is coming if you listen to the regular press who knows less about technology than i do about brain surgery um <laughs> or microsoft so um this the state of tamil nadu in india um, has basically decided, Hey, i got a great migration strategy. Why don't we go to the Baharat operating system, uh, solutions Linux. It's a fine replacement for XP. And they kind of suggest that to the department heads in their operating system. Now, you know, India is a very large co- uh, country, very, very populous, um, smaller than China, bigger than America. Uh, and this particular state only has 70 million people, but it's one of the, um, it's one of the more industrialized and modern states in the Indian subcontinent. And it's kind of second only to Bangalore in a lot of ways in that way. And in a lot of ways, they kind of help set the tone. And I don't think Microsoft wants to lose a lo- such a large population uh, to their OS line. Because, you know, once you go Linux... Um, why are you going to keep windows around you know and, and that you're paying money for whenever you're seeing the benefits of this free os and mm-hmm. they're going to have to do something or you know again it's not like two years from now everybody will go what was that company that started with an M and made a decent office product i don't remember you know they'll still be around but you know it, it'll start the death of a thousand cuts as they lose some here lose some there and then they'll be you know, they won't be the 800-pound gorilla. They'll just be, like, the messed-up mutated monkey that has to fight for everything.
0: And I think maybe Microsoft is is recognizing this, and that's evidenced by the fact that they just recently open-sourced a big chunk of .NET. This isn't just dumping code. This is actually creating a foundation to further the support of open-source .NET.
1: Yeah, and no okay. Yes. Uh, They release it under the Apache 2.0 license, and there's a foundation that go around with it. My question is, I don't know why they would do this. Um, You know, one, it's a way you know, whenever they're talking with their enterprise customers and because, you know, open source is a buzzword now. Oh yeah, we've got this open source product that we maintain and support and here it is. So it's a way to get involved and stay involved when the conversation turns open source. Now the reason Seth,
0: I can tell you clearly why this is you wanna know? Here it is. Why? They they make money selling developer IDEs, you know, uh and all of their stuff right now builds uh, .NET code that can only run on Windows. They want the code that their people develop to be able to run on Linux as well. So yep. they're open sourcing .NET so that ports can be created so that they are still, that they remain level, uh, relevant in the web development area. Because with with uh, where they are right now, with .NET apps on the decline, uh, on the decline and ASP apps on the decline, they're finding themselves less relevant and if they have to to open source .net or remember .net is is their older branch of code um it's not asp so if if they can open source some of their older branch to stay more relevant it's a it's a win win but
2: is it too little too late you know with with everything else that's been changing in the market and with html5 starting to show up is it too little too late for them to to release this .net
0: framework i, I maybe but still right now like I said, even though .NET is is one of the the older of their wonder twin powers, uh, it's it's still way more capable than HTML is even specced to be at this point. So, you know, you if you if you can get people moving from HTML, the open standard, to .NET, the open standard, and you have all these development tools for .NET, yeah. it gives you a foothold in the development world, and that's what they want. They still make most of their money in the server side of things.
2: Yeah, I, know, I guess, I mean, it's possible. It'd be interesting to see what happens. And then if, you know, cause what, I guess there really isn't a whole lot of programs out there that I've seen recently that run .NET. You know, have you seen anything recently that's a .NET, you know, forced .NET updates?
0: I run lots of uh, things, yeah, in the at the enterprise level that still require .NET. Hmm. Um, it's still huge in business.
2: I guess I'm being not in business. I don't really see it that much.
0: You know how I know that I'm not allowed to install it. And so every time I try to do one of these things, I can't do it on the, you know, the software that I use every day. I have to go get somebody's permission. So that's how I know that they require .NET. So it's, yeah, people are moving away from it, but it's still, it's still relevant. I just, I I think it's a good thing. It's not uh, world changing. But uh, it'll be in. It's, they're only as good as the people who pick up their torch and run with it.
2: Yeah, I guess that's going to be the actual question: is how many people actually move to the .NET framework um, to code things for Linux?
1: Well, and not so much move to, but don't move away from. So, yeah. you know, if you can retain your user base without, you know, by simply open sourcing then yeah, you know, hey, look, if we open source this, one, we don't have to spend the developmental resources because there'll be open source people doing it so we can save money there and two, we'll hold on to market share longer because more people will stay with it because it's open source. So, you know, I wouldn't say this would be a silver bullet, but for a company looking to move forward has technology changes around them, I would have to agree it's not a bad move. Okay. So
0: moving right along to another thing that is good news, the European Parliament for essentially the entire EU um has uh has adopted full net neutrality. Awesome.
1: <laughs> yes, um And um, there was a, and apparently it was a very hard fought thing. You know, there's not a lot of tech coverage here in America uh, mainstream. Um, And there was, um, there were several loophole um, portions of the bill that I don't remember the, I don't know the technical name, but they were tried to be gray enough and vague enough that they were just creating massive loopholes. They, most of those got pulled out and it's actually a pretty solid net neutrality bill that you know has has uh the united states seems to be moving away from net neutrality because the government seems to be content to let the companies do the isps do whatever they want the european union seems to be embracing net neutrality and like even going so far as to uh end roaming charges within the eu so um you know in a lot of ways it looks like they're kind of taking up leadership in this aspect of the great interwebs that connect us all. Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know that it's actually means a whole lot yet because the, I'm not big on my uh, knowledge of European politics, but the EU is, um, you know, it's, while there are part uh, uh entity countries within the EU they still have to ratify it themselves, so it's not, it's not the law of the land entirely yet.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's they are they're more. If you think American history, the European Union is more articles of confederation yeah. versus uh, a constitution. So there is this overlying umbrella of governance over the countries, but yet. In a lot of ways, the individual countries are still sovereign countries, whereas in America today, um, you know, despite some of us in Texas, uh, none of the states are, um, you know, sovereign unto themselves. We are only kind of sovereign within our borders under the auspices of the federal government. Well, that's the reason
0: we use the word states was originally we were to be sovereign entities within a confederation uh but right, the states right. lost almost all of their power over time. Uh well, almost immediately, but certainly after the Civil War. But anyway. That's that's on everyday history.
1: Uh, yes. And politics. That. We'll do a crossover there.
0: Uh and so just to make sure that Apple uh excuse me, that Microsoft doesn't uh, get out of the news, um uh are
1: Microsoft and Apple teaming up, maybe? And is that ever a good thing? So uh <laughs> Apple and Microsoft, and many others, um, they're forming a patent lobby group that says, We need to have a way to patent software because we want to sue Samsung and Google. Um, you know, that's, I mean, the story doesn't say that, but basically, you know, we have to patent software because you're going to stifle, and, you know, and, and they make arguments, and I'm sure there are facts, individual facts that support their arguments. Um, but basically, You know, yes, patent trolls sue companies like Apple and Microsoft, and they have lots of lawyers. That you know, basically each company has these two division of lawyers: Uh, Division A, defend us from patent trolls; Uh, Division B, you are patent trolls, sickle. Right? Uh, You know, and so it it, obviously they probably make more money from their patents than they do paying out the patent trolls. So it makes sense then that they want to hold on to their patents. You know, famously, Microsoft um, makes makes Bitcoin off of google from the patents they hold that are used via android um, and there was a story we talked about a couple of weeks ago i think where in the european union that patent was ruled to be i don't remember the official term but basically a load of crap so yeah. um so nobody likes
0: patent trolls and we all want right. them to go away but the way to make them go away is not to make microsoft and apple uh and google lawsuit proof that's the wrong yeah. way to do it Yes. And that's essentially what this legislation seeks to do, to make them lawsuit proof. It's
2: scary. Yeah. Very.
0: Um, here's something that's not scary, a new Humble Bundle.
2: Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm actually over on their website right now to get the current number. Um, they've currently sold uh, 116,000 bundles. This is the Humble Indie Bundle PC and Android 9. So this is the ninth one of their particular bundles that they've sold out. This one currently is selling for uh, six games, uh, Broken Sword, Bridge Constructor, Typewriter, Raven Sword, Kingdom Rush, and Kingdoms of Pen and Paper. Um, they're all Android or Steam-driven.
0: I don't even um, know what Bridge Constructor is, but I can tell by the icon that it would suck my life away if I started playing it, he, so I won't.
2: Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I've actually played a, a web based version of this particular of Bridge Constructor, and it will. Um, it's a physics based game, so you have to figure out how to balance the bridge so things can go over it. Um, and it's it's highly addictive. Um, <laughs> that's I'll, I'll say about that. Um, there is a note saying that there are more games being um, being prepped to be put into this pack. Um, they don't say yet, but they always come out usually after the seventh day. They start. Pumping more games into each bundle. Um, as of the time of the recording, there are eight days and sixteen hours left. So, if you need your, uh, if you need some games for your Android devices, then uh, here's a good way of getting a whole bunch. Um, currently, you have to pay more than three dollars and eighty-two cents to unlock all the premium selections. And right now, the average donations for the different. Um the average purchase is about three dollars and eighty two cents um Windows Mac, and Linux guys, as they are putting out their numbers on, are you know the usual f- windows is the lowest mac is middle, and Linux guys are paying more than the average use of five dollars and thirty two cents
1: so it's a okay. it's a good thing. I have a question for you, Chris, that some of you listeners at home might um ask. If I go um if I pay more than the average price now but mm-hmm. ends up being less than the average price because I paid more than what it was at the time of my purchase do I get the extra games?
2: Yes. Okay. It go cool. it it goes it goes off the time of purchase. So if right now the the price to get all the premium content and the new games when they're added is $3.82, so if you spend Three dollars and eighty-three cents. You unlock all your all the extras. So when the when the new games are added, you all you grandfather in. Cool. Um, and like I said, these are Android and Steam games. They're DRM free. Um, and if you have an Android and install the Humble Bundle beta application they actually will link you to your application. You know, once you sign into it, you can then pull your games straight into your Android device. So it's it's a good way to get some free games. And, you know, the, the, for when I was looking through the, the demos for everything but Bridge Builder, um, they look like fairly fun games. Um, Kingdom Rush is like a uh, tower defense-based game. And then... I'm not too sure if I'm going to like typewriter, but typewriter is a gyroscopic. You got to move the ball to different places by moving the, the Apple, your, your Android device around, or if you're redeeming it on your steam account, I'm sure you'd have to move the mouse around to move the, the plane. So the things, the ball will move accordingly. Um, the other, the other games are RPG type games. So, you know they're good for burning time if you you know don't have anything else to do and you're waiting for stuff to happen. They're good games to have on hand. Sweet. And from from what I'm reading, also the um all of the games that are listed here except the Broken Sword Two is multi-platformed. Um, Broken Sword Two says not available for Linux at this time. So, but all of the games will play on Android or PC or Mac or Linux. So, if you need some games to play, here's a easy way of getting some freebies. We're well, not freebies, but cheapies. But yeah, yeah. And then I will also bring up that this is this particular bundle is um, the charities of this this week are um, the Electronic Frontier Foundation and Child's Play again. So some great charities to donate some money to, even if that's all you want to do.
0: All right. So next thing uh, on the list is um, a new, I hesitate to use the word laptop, a new computing device made of almost entirely open source hardware as well as software.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah. It's called the Novena and it's, kind of uh expensive it's like uh $1200 gets you um you know a motherboard a battery and a 240 gig SSD um you can get the heirloom version for 5000 um but you know one you're kind of going towards a good cause think of it almost like a kickstarter type project because the goal is is to have open source hardware. So, you know, it. if you've ever worked on computers, you know, especially, especially laptops. Um, if you have to find a replacement motherboard, oh my gosh, the pain the pain you must endure matching up all these different numbers. Everything could be right except for the last digit. And that means that it was an AMD instead of an Intel and you couldn't read the last digit on your board. So you took a shot in the dark and got the wrong one and now you got to send it back. And, you know, they only, they called it this model, but this model has a possible five different motherboards that could go with it. And so you don't know Um their goal is, Hey, why is why don't we make the hardware generic and then you can do whatever you want via the software? And that's kind of their goal, and that's what they want to see happen, and that's what you would be uh, supporting if you chose to get a Novena. Here's
0: the, here's my only issue with it. So for nineteen, um, almost right at two thousand dollars, you get a, a a motherboard, a high definition display, a two hundred forty gig solid state drive, a uh, An aluminum case, keyboard, all that sort of stuff. That that's not you know it's it's expensive, but it's not out of range of a premium machine with a with a solid body aluminum case and all that sort of stuff for two grand. Here's my problem: it's an ARM processor. It's not even a laptop. It's a phone. Yeah, Um, and that's where you lose me. Two grand for a phone with a big screen. Yep. Sorry. No.
2: Yeah. It's it's. I think it's more of the, uh, I would say this this particular device would be more along the lines of the hobbyist slash I have way too much money to yeah. spend on things, people.
0: So it runs Linux, uh, powered by an ARM processor, and it doesn't say how much RAM you get, if you get any. I guess you have to buy your own RAM. Um, but uh, it's just, yeah, I'm I'm not there. I wanted to be. When I started reading the article, I was, but I'm just not there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and also, you know, early adopters, you pay more. Right. So it's one of those, if they don't get any support, they'll never come down in price. So, uh, but it's true. By the same token, for that amount of money, you can have, you can have a bunch of really bad machines or you can have one really good machine. Um, And I understand what they're doing and I hope they get big enough to exert a force in the market. Um, It would be nice to have, you know, a, a, a a white box. Um I used to work for a value added reseller and um uh, you know and Dell came along and basically destroyed the industry, but the value added resellers um their thing in the can to kind of keep HP or IBM from selling directly to businesses is well, you know, we could buy components and make our own box and we already have relationships with all these people so we don't need you. So you know it was kind of like the uh Mutually assured destruction. Um, and so it would be cool to have a thing on here where I can just buy a hundred units and then I can buy parts and know that the parts are going to be interchangeable. So that would be cool. I wish them well. I can't afford them.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah no kidding.
0: I just have to wonder how useful that would be. Um, I mean, uh, my phone has an arm, right? And I can do almost everything on my phone that I can do on a real machine but the word there's almost, you know, right. It's, it's still almost.
1: Well, and granted you're running Linux, so you don't require the beefiness of a, a windows processor. And number two, you know, when the first Android phone came out, it was a, it was a distant was a piece of garbage crap. heat. Yeah. compared to the Apple that was, and even the windows phone at the time. Um, but again, they innovated, they improved. And now, you know, at least parity, depending on who you talk to, um, so hopefully they will, hopefully they'll grow and we can revisit them at a later date. All right. Maybe even, might even have a Novena episode.
0: Yeah. yeah there you go. Uh, and what I'm going to call the last story of the night, uh, combines some of the things we've talked about previously, technology, open source, and politics. California is starting with their own open source voting project they essentially want to roll their own voting machine system using open source components
2: interesting
1: yeah i i don't know what to think about this i mean hey open source is great but for something other like voting i like the piece of paper you know is like hey this piece of paper that i cast this is my ballot you know there's unless a paper there's a stuff.
0: hanging chad you got to deal with
1: you know, I mean, my gosh, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, there's not an IQ test required for voting. Um, th- that's all I got to say about that. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know if I, li- I I don't like electronic voting because it is too easy to break the system. Uh, it there's too you open up so many more uh, fraud, you know, places for fraud Um you know, like i say i I used to work for a company, and we repaired uh p o s systems and i there was a there was two things I could do and I could disable your credit card reader I could take it and I could put it into a mode where I could do data entry uh from that screen and it was a simple thing well, I mean my gosh, if it's open source, the plans are out there on how to put the, how to put your voting machine in debug mode and gain access to the server because it was packaged with the Linux kernel 1.5 for some stupid reason, and then they've pwned your machine, and Darth Vader is governor of California, which, you know, I don't know. That might not be a bad thing. But um, the,
0: the article goes on to say that in 2010, Washington, D.C. Opened a, implemented a pilot project for Internet voting. So that's different. That's not voting machines. Yeah. That's Internet voting and invited hackers me. to try to test the system. A University of Michigan group took up the challenge and issued a, issued a report detailing how they were able to successfully hack into the system. Quote, Within 48 hours of the system going live, we had gained near complete control of the election server. We successfully changed every vote and revealed almost every secret ballot. Election officials did not detect our intrusion for nearly two business days and might not have remained, remained unaware f- for far longer had we not deliberately left a prominent clue. So, internet voting, we're not there yet, but I'm a little more confident in voting machines where you can lock down everything but the touchscreen. You know, and yeah. there's no inputs, yeah. there's nothing they can get to, and and unless they had some sort of um, arc generator and a strong electromagnet, it would be very difficult to hack a machine that is behind a wall in a safe, and the only thing you have is a is a touchscreen. But then it comes down to how well do you trust the people who delivered the machines and who picked up the machines and who plugged in the machines to the network to test the, the – uh, to count the votes. Yeah. So there's still lots of uh, steps along the way, but those steps exist now. Somebody still goes and picks up your ballots, whether they're paper or electronic, and somebody still plugs in the electric machines and somebody still counts the paper ones. So my, my thing is I'm not sure it would actually gain any benefit. Um, I don't know that it's going to save any money or time over the existing technology that's out there
2: yeah i don't see it i don't see it saving any time i think it's just you know maybe it's california's way of trying to uh, because they are one of the tech-centric states maybe they're
1: just trying to leverage some of that brain power they have down there here is here is how it would save time and i would be okay with this implementation i do an electronic ballot it prints out a paper receipt that I verify this is what I voted for and then I you turn in the paper receipt but at the end of the thing you hit tabulate and you have your results and then if they want to do recounts you can go to the paper ballots and make sure that, you know, they're, you know, well, hey, this guy won by a thousand votes, but when we did the recount, only five people voted for him. What's up? You know, if there were some sort of something like that, it would save a ton of time and you would have near instantaneous election results. Well, that's exactly uh,
0: the way, Seth, it works here in Georgia where I live. When, when I last voted, what you described is exactly what happened. I I I made my choices. It presented them with me on the screen to finalize it. I tapped. Yes, that's right. It spit out a receipt with that same information on it and I turned in the receipt so that that process exists that technology exists so you know what it would save I guess is the money that they spend on paying those contractors but then you're buying all your own hardware so I'm just I'm not really I'm not against it I'm just not sure that there's a reason for it
1: yet it's it's not it's not mature enough to be secure I mean we can't How long have we been trying to secure the web? And it seems like security is worse now than when we started. That's
0: not a fair comparison. That's not a fair comparison because this is a single-purpose built machine. This is like comparing it to an ATM. ATMs are very secure because they do one thing and one thing only. So if you trust your ATM to give you $20 and not take $100 out of your account, how is that different than trusting this machine to, to vote for you?
1: Well, again, I, I get the paper receipt to verify that if I want to, I can hold on to make sure that, that's what, that that is what actually happened. But how easy is it to put a device on an ATM? There's stories like this all the time. You know, you stick a little card reader in front of the card reader. Right, but that's not hacking your machine.
0: That's not, that doesn't change anything that goes on during your transaction. That gives them access to the information to later conduct more transactions. You've yeah. not hacked the machine. You've not affected that transaction in any way.
1: Oh, right. Okay. I mean, I, I so agree so. With my that, point
0: but... is there that it's a specious argument to compare that to securing Internet Explorer. We we can do this. We know how to do this. Runtimes uh, operation. Uh, I mean, those things. ATMs run on Windows XP or Windows CE, probably. Um, so.
1: No, they, they run on regular Windows XP. I used yeah. to work on them. Okay. It was regular. It wasn't even XP embedded. It was just regular XP. So so my point is they've
0: been, that problem is solved. And there's no reason we couldn't resolve it using open source software. Um, so I, I just, I didn't want to let that thing go comparing it to securing the web. That's a whole different animal. Uh, that's like saying you don't like bananas because oranges taste bad. It's just It's just not the same thing. <laughs>
1: Well, I know, but you are under the impression. Then, so are they? Are those machines not going to be hooked together, and are they not going to be networked?
0: Well, at some point, you've got to get the information off of them, right? Sure, but I would expect that during the voting process, they are standalone.
2: Yeah, and then they then they get they get shipped to place, and they get the the data sucked off of them, and then.
0: i mean i know a little bit not a lot i know a little bit because i was tapped to help in the small town where i used to work set up their electronic voting and i was setting up the machines and and the only thing that connected them to the wall was a power cable that's it um and this particular machine machine was basically a scantron reader you bubbled in your thing and you fed it to the machine and it counted it right there uh so this wasn't an actual voting machine. This was several years ago in a small town. They didn't have the best technology. But my point being, we have ways to make that secure. We have ways to make those stand alone. And then you just have to make sure that there's a really good oversight process for getting the data off the machines. Uh, But those problems all still exist. So open source wouldn't introduce any new problems. It wouldn't necessarily solve any old ones. What it does do is get you out from under your contracts. There's now no longer a couple of people in the world that control the voting process, yeah, as it is now
1: well, I mean that wouldn't be a bad thing, but i I don't know i it, it, it's a scary thought um and it, you know I'm, well, and I'm and the I find that interesting guy
0: because I'm not scared of it. I don't find that scary at all. I think that the machines will always do a better job of counting than people will um you know. I, I'm a smart guy, but you get me to count above about 300, and, and I, I get a little fuzzy there. I'm having to start right. and make notes and write things down. Yeah, um,
2: sticky notes on machines <sighs> or on paper, so you know which one was 300 and which one was 325. Right. Yeah. We we all have our way of keeping track of things, and
0: yeah. So I'm not I'm not scared by it at all, and I think it's inevitable that all voting will be electronic in the future, and I think. Uh, I think internet voting is going to happen before long. We will vote from our smartphones. We won't go to a voting place.
2: I could see smartphone voting before I could see internet voting because you could could tie um, the unique identifier in all your phones, not the phone number but the unique hardware ID, Um, you could tie that to a person and then that would be the way to vote.
0: But I think we're a long way from that. I think it's going to happen, but we're at least – a generation of technology away, which a generation of technology is about 12 years in my estimation. So um, so I think, you know, I don't know what this open vote thing is about. Maybe they're not looking to do something until 2040. You know, maybe they're just looking to lay the groundwork. <clears throat> but um, I, I do think it's interesting that even right here on the show of, of intelligent, educated, technology-savvy people... We had an instant knee-jerk reaction of this is bad. Um, So now multiply that out to the masses of unintelligent, uneducated people who think that computers are still a wizard in a box and this is (laughs) never going to fly.
2: Yeah. It it would definitely take a, a large push to get this to happen.
0: I think we need to social engineer more than we need to electronic engineer to get this problem solved. Yeah. Wow, that was a good discussion. Yeah, it was. Any other comments before I close out the open source voting thing? Nah. No. All right. So I've beaten that horse. It's sufficiently dead. And so I think I'm going to say that's the end of this show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, If you would like to be on the show next time, if you would like to be like Mike and like Danny and like Joe, who uh, submitted feedback, you can do that simply by going over to elementop.com, clicking on the contact us button at the top of the page and uh, send us uh, an email. Or you can go, uh, if you want to be on the show in in an audible way, if you want to send us a voicemail, you can do that also at our website, click the leave us a voicemail button or just pick up a phone anywhere in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico, and dial 559-I-AM-OP, and uh, Google Voice will connect to you, uh, and you can leave us a voicemail, and we'll play it on the air. If you're outside the U.S., just send me an audio file if you want. I know, that takes more effort than just using the Contact Us button, which is why almost all the European and Australian mail we get comes in the form of text. I'm fine with that. But we appreciate your comments, and I'm sure that we have uh, spurred some conversations. We've talked about some relatively volatile things today, from voting to uh, politics to uh, super cyclones. So uh, you know, I know that there's, uh, <laughs> there are going to be strong opinions out there uh, t- uh, to Jerry Ryan. You know? So uh, there are definitely going to be strong opinions, and we'd like to hear them. All, uh, all of that can happen by going to com. And, um, you know, just a, a quick shout out. If you're uh, planning on doing any Amazon shopping, please go to elementopi.com slash Amazon. Cost you nothing. Makes a couple of bucks for me. And uh, if you're on the fence about Linux Academy, now's the time to do it. Because the prices are going to go up, people. That's going to happen. It always does. So get in it already now while did. you can. <laughs> That's right. Mark, you
1: forgot my link. How oh, dare you? Oh, well, maybe I was just warming up to it. Okay. Um, Well, and okay. And and this week in history. Come on, my two most favorite things.
0: Oh, I didn't even see this week in history. I blew right past that one.
1: So, Seth, take it away. This week in history. Okay. April 3rd, 1973. So we're going. I was, I had not yet turned one. Uh, Martin Cooper of Motorola makes the first handheld mobile phone call to Joel S. Engel of Bell Labs. April 3rd, 1973, handheld mobile phone call.
0: And I saw an interview with Martin Cooper, and basically that conversation was, guess where I am and guess what I'm doing? Yeah, yeah, we did it first. That's pretty yeah, much that's what it. that conversation was. Well, I know, oh, but you look at how long thing? ago
1: that was. Yeah, And it was over 10 years before there was a successful handheld yeah. uh, commercial model of a phone.
0: Yeah, and that's when uh, um, Gordon Greed, uh, Gordon... Gordon What's his name? Had his big fo- cell phone in Wall Street and said, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Um, that was 10 years later. Oh, yep. Come on, Gordon. Ah, anyway. Gecko. Gecko. Ge- yeah. yeah, Gordon, Gordon Gecko. Gecko. Uh, that was that became the status symbol for the rich and powerful, that giant handset made by Motorola.
1: Yep, it's um, a Motorola phone. Yep. Google used to own them, and now Lenovo does, kind of, I think. All right, Seth, what is your productivity killer of the week? Now, actually, this one's not a productivity killer. This one will actually help you. It is a cross-platform file-sharing app specifically designed to work awesome in a home network. It's the Duck2 R6. You can either do an install. They have Mac, uh, Windows, and Linux clients. I did a quick search of the Google Play Store and didn't find one there, but um, you and what it is, you can either do an install or there's just a standalone executable in Windows. And if you're on the same network, so, you know, you couldn't do this across across the Internet, but I had two computers in my home. I launched this on each one, and you just simply drag and drop a file, and it shows up on the desktop of the other computer. There's no, set, no configuration settings or anything. It simply detects the other Duck 2.0. Um, installs running on the network and shows a list to you. And you can change the default file location and you can change the color of it. Um, It's just an easy way to share files um, across computers. So uh, on a local network, such as computers in your house. So, So no firewall configuring,
0: no turning on file and sharing, no setting a password, none of that.
1: None of that. Um, you know, it, it, it would really be cool if, like, somebody brought their computer over and, you know, you're doing homework, whatever, and you don't want to set up a Dropbox or email or an attachment or anything like that. Just, hey, this is a – you don't even have to install a program. It's just an executable, portable app type thing. Um, you do this and I'll send it to you and there it is. So it, it was it was a really cool thing that I came across and I wanted to share it because, to me, this is the kind of app – that our target audience would really love it it's one click to use uh very simple very easy to do it's it's platform agnostic in a lot of ways
2: nice. i wonder if that would work through a vpn
1: you know you if know, you it probably would um because you know if, if you vpn in you're for all pra- you're on the network so yep
2: well i was thinking like kamachi you know that 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 Hamachi program that was on log that logged me in gave away for a long or a long time. I uh-huh. wonder if that would, I wonder if it would work over that. Cause then you could set up, you know, a file sharing network with your, with friends
1: and family to send files around. You know, I mean, I, I just tested it inside my house, so I, I don't have any VPN set up, but theoretically I don't see why that would not work.
2: Hmm. We'll have to, tinker with it and see
1: what's that thing
0: tiny something or the tiny wall tiny something that is supposed to be a no configuration vpn um oh you know what i'm talking yeah. about anyway i haven't I, used it in like 10 years i i used it a long time ago once and forgot about it
2: i'm not uh, sure I'm about not time, i'm not I have I've heard it I just don't remember what it is. Hamachi is the one that I know very well because we used to I used to use it a lot um for for setting up, you know, zero almost zero configuration for um VPNing.
1: Um I wonder if tinyhardwarefirewall.com? No, that's not it. Tiny
0: VPN? I don't think that's it.
1: Freeland? I don't
2: know. Freeland was the one that I have um pinned. In my, in my bookmarks, it's a VPN.
0: Is that it? T-I-N-C. Maybe that's what I was thinking of.
2: T-I-N-C. Tink? Yeah,
1: Tink VPN. That's another one, yeah.
0: That's the one. It wasn't tiny. It was Tink.
1: Cool. I, I don't recall hearing of this one. Anyway, uh, like I said, Tink I haven't and,
0: used it in a long time.
1: Tink and Freeland are very similar.
0: Okay. Enough I, about I like, that.
2: I like Freeland. That's That would be my link of the, of the week is Freeland.org. Okay, here's Looking what we're going to for... do. I am
0: declaring it right now. Next week's show is going to be how to set up a VPN for no money. Okay. So we need to come up with options that are open source, cross-platform, and grandma approved for okay. next week. All righty. That'll be fun. Cool, yeah. All right. So that's it. I'm calling it it's the end of the all show. Right. Thanks, everybody. Chris, Seth, all, as always, thanks for being here. Thanks for doing the bulk of the work for the show, frankly. I just sit here and sound good, and that's pretty <laughs> much my only role. Uh, that and pontificate and bloviate and use other words that end in eight. Uh, so <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, we couldn't do this without you. And if it's not too much trouble – well, it is too much trouble, but do it anyway. Uh, go leave us a review on iTunes and, and a rating, and we would appreciate it. So uh, – Good night, everybody, and uh, that ends this week's episode.